0: His first job as a missionary was a failure. Winfred was born in Wessex, England in 675 AD. And when traveling missionaries came to visit his home when he was just five years old, well, from that day onward, Winfred's dream was always to be a traveling evangelist. However, his parents had other dreams for him. His parents, they lived a life of nobility and that's what they wanted for their son. And so as Winfred began his adult life, well, that's kind of the life that he was living. He wrote, actually, the first ever Latin grammar. He wrote other books as well, a book on riddles and some other things. But his dream to be a missionary, well, it never left. And so when he was in his early 40s, he traveled north to the Netherlands. It's where he always wanted to go. However, when he arrived in the Netherlands, well, at that time, the Netherlands was experiencing this internal revolt. It was a, it was a time of much confusion and a lot of danger. And Winfred, he wasn't allowed to stay there there very long. And so he left. And when he left, he returned without any disciples and without any converts at all. There was really nothing that was gained from his venture there. So when he came home to England, well, the people of England, they elected him to be an abbot. And this was a prestigious position. It was an honored position. It would allow Winfred to train up younger men But Winfred, his dream was to be a missionary. He didn't want this position. The people were confused because they knew this is an esteemed position. And Winfred, well, you've so clearly failed as a missionary. Maybe this is your calling. Winfred, he would never let that dream in his heart go. And so several years later, he traveled to Germany as a missionary again. And when he entered Germany, well, Germany at that time, it was a mess of confusion religiously. There was one guy traveling around and he was saying that when he was in his mother's womb, that God had anointed him and saved him right then. And then one day when he was out in the fields that Jesus visited him and handed him a letter. And so everywhere this guy went, he carried this letter that he said he received from Jesus. And he would tell people that he could forgive their sins right there. They didn't even need to tell him what the sins were because he already knew that he had this divine knowledge. Well, there was another guy at the same time, and he was looking at the scriptures and he was saying, you know, Jesus, when he was crucified, he descended into hell. And when he did that, he freed all the inhabitants of hell. So no one will ever have to go to hell again. You don't have to worry about any kind of judgment. See, there is all kinds of teaching like this, all kinds of heresy like this permeating Germany. And when Winfred showed up, well, he was a strong combatant of this type of heresy. He called them out. And he eventually had those two guys excommunicated. But this was his mission there. And he also, at the same time, Winfred began planting churches and establishing a healthy church government driven from the scripture. And so because of his success in doing this and his organizational skill, he was given this job as an administrator. But his dream to be a missionary, well, it never left. And so in his late 70s, Winfred, he again traveled back to the Netherlands. His friend once said that though his body deserted the Netherlands, his heart never did. He was finally able to go back. And when he did, he began destroying shrines to false gods. He began uh, planting churches and he began discipling and baptizing people. He did all this until he was killed by a band of pagan looters. You know, at the time that Winfred was killed, at that time, you you, you look at his life and he was best known really for his Latin grammar and the administrative uh, skill that he brought to the churches. But in Winfred's heart, he was always a missionary. And you know what? That's how he's remembered. From the 8th century to the 11th century, Winfred was the model missionary that all aspiring missionaries looked up to. This month, as we enter into this month of March, it is our missions month here at Central. And we're so excited. We're launching into this new series. It's a series of vision, and we're going to be looking at really the, the resurrection. This series will last until Easter Sunday, and we're going to see how Jesus's words, how his message immediately following the resurrection, what he calls us to. And incredibly, he's calling us to mission. You're going to be so encouraged and challenged by these weeks ahead. I just can't wait to get into it with you. We're going to be studying through John 20 and John 21. It's an exciting uh, section of scripture. This week, as we kind of begin in John 20, I want to set the scene for you. The disciples they were used to being confused, okay? There was often times when Jesus would do something, he would perform some miracle and they couldn't figure it out and they'd ask questions. They were used to being in positions where they couldn't make sense of everything. We have several occasions where they would come to Jesus and they would say, well, what did you just do? Or how are you, you going to do that? What does all this mean? They would ask a question of his miracles trying to figure things out. Yeah, they had walked with Jesus for three years, but they had never comprehended him. Jesus, he would say to them, how long do I have to be with you before you get it? And so this is the state the disciples were in. But this week? Well, they had never experienced a week like this. This was a whole nother level level of confusion that they had never experienced before. They'd spend the rest of their lives really fleshing out the reality of what would happen this week, putting it all back together. Jesus had gone from the beginning of the week, entering on this parade route, highly esteemed. People are singing and chanting. They're even spreading their cloaks on the ground so that the hooves of the donkey that Jesus was riding on, well, it wouldn't even have to touch the dirt this is how jesus entered the city of jerusalem but by the end of the week well jesus had been crucified he had been killed all the disciples well they ran because they feared that they would be next they locked themselves behind a closed door in a a closed room because they remembered what jesus said you see the way that they treat the shepherd just watch the way that they'll treat the sheep So the disciples are in this room, they're they're confused, they're trying to put everything back together again, trying to see how these pictures fit, wrestling with what they should do next, how do they pick up the pieces from this, and then... Sunday morning came, and Sunday morning, well, that would add a whole other level of confusion. You got to see it. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, and then I'm going to skip ahead to verses 19 through 23. Let's go ahead and check it out. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we did not know where they have laid Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now skipping ahead to verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad because they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Even when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples had been confused before, but this was something else altogether entirely. You know, they were still trying to wrap their minds around what had just happened this previous week. And here comes Mary Magdalene running in saying that the tomb is empty, that someone has come and taken Jesus' body, and we don't know where they've laid him. Now, in those days, the testimony of a woman was not valid in court. And so Peter and John, they know they've got to run to the tomb. They've got to be able to provide some kind of a defense and let people know that, hey, Jesus' body has been stolen. Now, this was a fear of the disciples that someone would steal his body, that Rome would not allow for a proper burial, this last act of dignity for their beloved leader. And so they want to make sure they can find out where this body is. It was also a teaching of Jesus's enemies that, hey, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. We just stole his body and hid it. Well, they must have hit it really well because we still haven't found it in 2,000 years later. But we know that's not the case because people actually saw the risen Jesus. So anyway, Peter and John, they know they've got to get to the tomb. They've got to check things out. And so they run. And this is the most incredible event the world has ever seen. The world has ever heard. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does John want you to know about it? <laughs> oh, a typical guy. This is why I believe the Bible. John just says, hey, I outran Peter to the tomb. You need to know that I beat him there. We were running neck and neck, but I beat him there. John wants you to know that he's the fastest disciple. He also lets you know, though, hey, we, I won. But as I was looking in, I was a little tentative to go inside the tomb. Peter, when he got there, oh, he marched right in. And he saw the cloths. He saw, he saw everything folded up. But he couldn't make sense of it all. And then John walked in and John believed. He believed, oh, all those words of Jesus, still trying to make sense of everything that Jesus had taught. But he believed Jesus really is alive. See, he saw it and he believed. They went back to the house. They locked the doors. They were in this room. They were concerned that the Jews would come and get them. They knew what the Jews had just done to Jesus. They knew that they would do the same thing to them as well. And you can imagine that they're having this debate that John is saying, yeah, he really is alive. Mary Magdalene is there at this point saying, yes, he really is alive. We even saw him later in the day. And then there's Thomas. No way, he's not alive. And so there's this debate going. The disciples are still trying to wrap their minds around everything. And they're still confused. And even if he is alive, what do we do now? And how, are we on the run? Are we going to be next? Are they going to crucify us? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to get our lives together after this? And then Jesus shows up right in the. No one hears any footsteps. There's no knock on the door. You don't even hear the door open. Jesus just shows up right in their midst. And the first thing he says, "Peace." peace be with you. Isn't that interesting? To this confused group of deserters now fearing for their own lives, it was time for Jesus to show up and to tell them that nothing could keep him from his friends, not even death itself. What an ironic picture, isn't it? I mean, the disciples, they'd be kept from Jesus for a variety of reasons. You just go back and you think about it. They're kept from Jesus because of the threat of persecution. They, they, they run away when the time of crucifixion came. Peter, he, he didn't even want his reputation to be tarnished in the eyes of a teenage girl. So it's going to keep him from admitting that he even had a relationship with Jesus. Even Jesus' closest disciples, they couldn't pull one all-nighter in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. All these things would keep his disciples from Jesus. But now Jesus shows up showing his disciples that not even death would keep him from them. And so Jesus shows up and yes, his first word is peace. Now Jesus, he could have said a lot of things, but his first word is peace. Why peace? Think about it. The disciples, they'd been confused before. They'd been terrified before. They'd they'd lived in fear before. I mean, you remember that night on the boat when Jesus is there asleep, and this is like the mother of all storms, and they know they're going to die, and what do the disciples do? They run over to wake Jesus up to tell him they're going to die. I mean, that's really the conversation. Jesus, don't you care that we're all going to die here? Wake up. And so Jesus, he gets up, and what does he say to them? He quiets everything down. No. Why do you have so little faith? It's not peace. It's why, why do you have so little faith? There's that time when, when he's out on the water, and he's walking to them, and they are terrified. They think they see a ghost. But peace is not the word that Jesus offers. See, Jesus, he has this uncanny ability to always tell the disciples exactly what they needed to hear. And right now, what they needed to hear most was shalom, peace. I'm here. Your hearts are anxious. Your mind is confused. Peace. I'm here. I'm alive, just like I said I'd be. And just like for the disciples, life is hard. We, We live in this fallen world where things are not at peace. We live in a world where relationships die, where dreams deteriorate where jobs fizzle we we, leave, we live in a world where life is hard and sometimes just like the disciples you just want to get to that safe space you just want to lock yourself behind some closed door and think okay if it's right here it's gonna be okay this building this is my safe place so we even create rooms like that, these safe rooms. we got, we got foam padding everywhere. we got crayons you can just color. There's soothing colors on the walls. soft music playing in the background. And we think, okay, this will work. This will calm your heart down just enough. It, it'll still your mind just enough. But it doesn't work. Why? Because because we have this. This this is not what we're made for. We're not made for foam padded rooms and crayons. We've got to be made for more than this. And you know what quiets your heart? (laughs) You know what stills your mind? You know what works? It's when Jesus comes in and says, peace. I'm here. I'm alive. I've got this. You know, I tell you all the time that the good news of the gospel is not that you found Jesus, but that Jesus found you. You see, Jesus wasn't lost. He didn't need to be found. We're the ones who were lost and Jesus found us. And just like the disciples, he comes to us and into our space and lets us know that, hey, you know what? Not even death will keep me from you. that That's his message to you. Not even death is going to keep me from you. This is how bad he wants a relationship with you, how desperately he wants to redeem you from whatever it is that you've thought, said, done, that you wish if you could go back, you'd take it back a million times over. You know, Paul, he would later later write, that, hey, what can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord? And you know what he says? Nothing. Nothing in all creation, not even death. Not even death will separate Jesus from us. At this moment, Jesus, he says something incredible. First, he says, peace to you. And then to this group that's so confused minutes before, still wrestling, trying to figure all things out, trying to put the pieces back together, nervous that the Jews are going to come in and they're going to be next so they're hiding behind these locked doors the next thing jesus says hey just as the father has sent me i'm sending you isn't that incredible that's the message of jesus that's what he says to them that just as the father has sent me i'm sending you you understand one of the biggest issues that we have in the church today is this incomplete understanding of easter Because for Jesus, the message of Easter, the reality of the resurrection, directly ties in to the commission of Pentecost. You understand, the reality of the resurrection directly impacts your commission to go make disciples. For Jesus, this is the first thing he wants his disciples to understand. Yes, I've granted you peace. You're, you can know that now your sin has been dealt with. Your guilt has been removed. And because of this, Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit because God can't reside in, in an unclean space. But because now you've been clean, now you can have the righteousness of Jesus. You can have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, He's now, he can now reside in you. This is the gift of God, the Holy Spirit living in his people. And the Holy Spirit is given. Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is given so that the mission can be continued, so that it doesn't have to stop with Jesus. So just as the way the Father sent Jesus into a lost and broken world, now the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can be empowered to take and live the same mission that Jesus lived. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm sending you he immediately connects the reality of the resurrection with the commission that he will continue to give up and through Pentecost. And this is why these guys are still confused. It's it's, it's while they're still trying to figure things out. It's while they're still hanging behind locked doors. Not sure how they're going to survive the threat of these Jews who just killed Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out there all, to all, all of these wolves out there who just got me. This is where I'm sending. I'm sending you there. <laughs> you know what it's like to be sent, don't you? I mean, if you, you remember when you were a child, maybe you had some brothers or sisters and your mom would say, hey, you need to go tell your brothers and sisters it's time to clean up. Dinner's it's almost dinner time. And you would run over to them, right? You'd say, hey, it's time to clean up. It's almost dinner time. And they look at you and they think, who are you to tell us what to do? I'm going to keep on playing. I'm going to keep on doing whatever it is that I'm doing. And then what do you do? Well, you puff out your chest and you say with a little bit of confidence, mama said. See, you're not going there under your own authority. You're going there under the authority of your mom. And because mama said, all of a sudden, now this brings out a whole new level of authority, this whole new uh, sense of, I've got to do this. And so at this point, if your brothers and sisters don't listen to you, well, they don't have an issue with you anymore, do they? Now they have an issue with mom. And see, this, this is the same thing. Jesus says, I'm sending you the same way the father sent me. You're not going with your own authority. You're not going with your own message. You don't get to decide what the message is. You don't get to decide what kind of mission this is. You're sent by the authority of the Father the same way that Jesus was sent. And so this this is the question. Don't, don't, Don't you understand that the reality of the resurrection gives those who have a relationship with Jesus this mission, this sentness. So do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you do, you understand you've been sent, you've been called to mission, authority from God the Father to take this good news of Jesus, to disciple people in every corner of creation, in every sphere of society, to make disciples, not converts, disciples, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commands. That's the mission. It's not converts, it's disciples, and you're called to it. This is what he saved you for. This is, the, this is what the reality of the resurrection means in your life. And I know, we've all got reasons, right? As to why we're not the guy, why we're not the girl, why this is not for us. Hey, our lives aren't put together the way they ought to be put together. We've still got all these questions, don't understand the Bible the way we'd like to. we got busy lives, we got things to do. Uh, just our schedule gets full. This isn't for us now, maybe sometime down the road. See, Jesus, he's not looking for those who say, oh, man, you're so immensely qualified. Yes, I'll take you and send you. I mean, look at the disciples. Just consider the disciples in this moment where they were. They're confused. All these guys had just deserted Jesus. At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, not one of them were there. Not one of them would stand with him. Why? They all fled. They all left. I mean, we know with Peter denying Jesus before the teenage girl, we've talked about uh, the guys trying to keep watch with him and pray with him in the garden that night. None of them could do it. They all fell asleep. These guys were not like your faithful band. And you look at and say, wow, this is the model that we're after. But Jesus said, no, even while you're out here, cowered in this room, where you think this is your safe space, I'm sending you because you weren't made for this safe space behind a locked door. You were made to go to every corner of creation, every sphere of society. I mean, these guys were still wrestling. They didn't even believe. Thomas is saying, oh, I'm not believing until I can touch the scars, And Jesus comes, he offers them assurance, peace. Let your hearts quiet down. Let your minds quiet down. Understand I am alive. He doesn't wait for them to get their lives cleaned up. He doesn't wait for them to demonstrate, okay, yes, now they're exercising all kinds of great faith. No, he comes and he lets them know right away. Even while you're scared, even while you're confused, here's your mission. He doesn't wait He immediately ties the commission to go to the reality of his resurrection. One of the biggest mistakes that we make is thinking, once I know all the answers, once I've got my life all together, once this happens in my life and my schedule can calm down a little bit, then I'll be ready. Understand in the sin-cursed world, that day is never coming. There's always going to be questions. Your life is never going to be completely put together. There's always going to be this tyranny of the urgent where you've got this busyness that you've got to tend to. Life is always going to have its challenges. But the solution is not just hanging back in your safe space, just waiting for things to calm down. The solution is always obedience to God to go because you've been sent. You've been sent with authority from the Father with the message of the Son. Is it dangerous? Oh yeah, absolutely it's dangerous. It's not easy. All of the disciples except John, they, they were all martyred for their faith. We, saw, we talked about it with the story of Winfred this morning. He was martyred for his faith. And even John, who wasn't martyred, he was exiled off to some forgotten island that he could just be forgotten himself. These guys who just, when they first hear the message, they're just hiding out in a room trying to stay safe. And now... They're going right to the wolves, and nothing is going to cause them to recant their story. They're not going back. They firmly say, all of them, Jesus is alive, and let me tell you how you follow him. Let me show you how you can go make disciples as well. Not one of them recanted. Not one of them said, you know what? I just want to go back to my safe place where we could just reminisce about the good old days and life with Jesus out on the roads and traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee and what all of that was like no they didn't do that why because once they experienced the life that Jesus had called them to once they experienced the life that God had made them for they knew there's no other way to live That this is life, to be able to live on mission. This is what we're called to. This is what the reality of the resurrection sends us to. You cannot separate the reality of the resurrection. You cannot separate Easter from your commission to make disciples. Because understand, you've been sent. Maybe you haven't been sent to the Netherlands like Winfred, but you've been sent to Portsmouth, to Chesapeake, to Suffolk, to Norfolk, to the 757, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ, to teach those wherever it is you live, work, study, and play what it looks like to live for Jesus, what it looks like to love like Jesus. You've been sent to make disciples. You know, it is the exciting part Of the resurrection, that it's not simply what God has done for us, although it is that, it's also what God has then created us to be, that we've been sent. We now get to be a part of what the resurrection secured for us. You've been sent. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this responsibility of mission. That it is not just something we do, but it is who we are. We are sent ones. So God, help us to go well this week, making disciples, wherever it is. We live, work, study, and play. We need your help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ.